the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. Welcome, everybody. Beautiful fall morning. Uh, let's talk about your relationship with time, with time for a second. Are you a person who is always on time, and you think others should also have the decency to be on time? Or are you someone who just lets time get away from you and you wish others wouldn't be so uptight about time? Uh, people, even cultures, approach time differently. In Northern Europe, you might have uh, noticed, trains run by the second. You will miss a train if you are 10 seconds late, where in Southern Europe, you can show up 30 minutes late and still wait for your train to depart. I feel like I've spent half my life waiting in the Milan train station. Um, and I'm a Northern European kind of guy. I hate being late. It's, it's a kind of a, it's a psychosis for me. Like if I um, tell you, if I'm driving through UVA grounds and I tell you I'm gonna meet you at three and I check my ETA and it's 3.01, uh, then I will text you while I'm driving through uh, the grounds where all the students are also texting while they're driving or testing while they're walking to tell you that I will be there at 3.01 and I'm so, so sorry that I'm late. Unsafe, illegal, I can't help myself. It's how I'm wired. I'm married to a um, Southern European kind of person. <laughs> Her favorite expression is an Irish one and believe me, the Irish classify as Southern Europeans. When they say, when God made time, he made plenty of it. Uh, she feels she has been liberated from the cruel and arbitrary constructs of hours and minutes, <laughs> uh, which <laughs> makes for some special moments in our relationship. Now, when it comes to bi the Bible, Christy squarely has God on her side. <clears throat> God has a well-established history of being late. He promises Abraham and Sarah a child. <clears throat> Years go by. No child. Decades go by no child. So they take matters into their own hands. They decide to have a child by Hagar, Sarah's servant, and it does not turn out well. Uh, remember when we talked about this last time when Moses went up to get the Ten Commandments at uh, Mount Sinai, and um, he turned out to be up there 40 days, and the people couldn't wait, so they made a golden calf and had a rager, and uh, Moses came back and broke the tablets, and that did not turn out well. Um, go to the New Testament, Jesus was basically never on time. Jesus was never on time. Everybody was always looking for him. Remember when Lazarus, his, his, his buddy, died. Both of Lazarus' sisters said to him, Lord, if you hadn't been late, if you, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But Jesus is his own time schedule. But so I, I could go on about the Bible, but let's read it to you this morning. Um, I mean, have there been ways that you've really wanted God to show up in your life? Um, and you feel like you've been waiting and, um, and he's not there. And uh, he, he didn't show up, so you just felt like I need to take things into my own hands. And maybe for you too, that didn't turn out so well. I mean, I bet we could all relate to the psalmist who says, How long, O Lord? How long? Will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? God, why are you late? The gospel reading today, which is a toughie, 
um, God is late in the gospel reading. And it does not turn out well for five of the bridesmaids in the story. Ten bridesmaids bring their lamps to meet the bridegroom who's coming in to the wedding party. But the bridegroom's late. I mean, he's really late. Did you notice he doesn't show up till midnight? I mean, at least you would think cocktails were at six or something. He doesn't show up till midnight. So when his approach is heralded, the five maids who brought an extra flask of oil, um, they lit their lamps and they ran out and they prepared to meet the bridegroom. But the five who had brought just enough to last through the planned arrival time, well, they ran out. They had to scramble to find a shop open at midnight. Good luck so that they could replenish their oil. And while they were gone, the bridegroom arrived. And he took the five lit-lamped bridesmaids into the party, into the wedding banquet. And when the five others finally arrived, well, the door was shut. It did not turn out well for them. When they asked, Lord, may we come in? He said, I do not know you. Rough parable. It's a parable of judgment that Jesus uh, 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 speaks, uh, teaches right before his death. But like, it just doesn't seem fair, doesn't it? For whose fault is it that the five ran out of oil? As I said, it's not their fault, it's the bridegroom's fault. He was so freaking late. He's the God figure in the story, and he is unconscionably late. See, the five were prepared. They brought plenty of oil for the scheduled event. The five had blocked it out on their Google calendars. They told their friends and families exactly when they would be back. They had full schedules the next day. They were planning on leaving right after the cake was cut. And here it was midnight, and the party hadn't even started. These are clearly the Northern European bridesmaids, the ones from Germany and parts of Sweden. These were the ones who, like the speaker in T.S. Eliot's famous poem, which still um, speaks, the love song of J. Alfred Prufrock, say, I have known the evenings, mornings, afternoons. I have measured out my life with coffee spoons. The other five, the ones from southern France and parts of Italy, they didn't even have calendars. There was even one Irish bridesmaid who knew that when God made time, he made plenty of it. Right? You see, to them, it didn't matter when the party began. They didn't have watches. They just knew, these five, that being in that party with that bridegroom was the most important thing in the world. That's what they knew. So this is, like I said, a parable of judgment. It's a judgment on people like me um, who like to be in control, who are parsimonious about our evenings and mornings and afternoons. Those of us who would buy and believe Oprah's and Arthur Brooks' new book called, absurdly, Build the Life You Want. I haven't read it. It's probably a pot shot, but that's low-hanging fruit. I mean... (laughs) as if you could build the life that you want. Because believe you me, friends, the walls will come tumbling down. 
It's a judgment on those of who may spend a few minutes waiting for Godot, but really, if things don't, you know, hustle along, we would rather take things into our own hands when clearly God can't even bother, be bothered to show up on time. But um, the walls come tumbling down for all of us, the lamped and the lampless alike. The walls came tumbling down for football legend Jim Kelly, the Buffalo Bills quarterback, who's famous for leading the Bills to four Super Bowls and more famous to, uh, for losing all four Super Bowls. Long article this week in The Athletic does a deep dive into Kelly's life. Uh, it's super interesting. Fame and fortune for Kelly, he had it, but he also had heartache. Uh, his son was born um, with a, a congenital terrible disease and, um, and died when, when he was eight years old. Jim himself had cancer of the jaw, um, and he struggled along the way. He lost his way. Despite having a loving wife, Jim strayed. He had an affair. The plight of their son's illness and death put an enormous strain on their marriage. Jim says he was in a dark and doleful place. He had believed that God would show up on time and heal and save his son, but he didn't. Later, his mother-in-law discovered the affair. Uh, and the article says, for one week, the mother-in-law fasted and prayed. Then she read a letter to Jim and asked him to meet her in a mall parking lot. She handed him the letter. He glanced at it and drove away. Then he pulled over and wept while reading every word. He confessed to his wife and asked forgiveness from her and from God. And then, this is beautiful, it was then, he says, that he, quote, felt the weight of a piano lifted from his back. His wife said, I was certainly angry at him, but I was more joyful and thankful than anything else because I saw that Jim saw his need for God, and moving forward, everything would change. From then on, the article says, Jim would call himself a Christian. It's when his life fell apart that the door of the party swung wide open. As one C.S. Lewis scholar put it, there is life-changing magic in throwing ourselves on the mercy of Christ. The good news is that the shut door of judgment isn't the end of the capital S story. Because it's, for when, it's when Jesus's life fell apart that the door of the party was open to us all. The lamped and the lamped less alike. The supreme example of God being late is on the cross when Jesus cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? On the cross, the light of the world ran out of oil and was extinguished. God's, you see, apparent lateness 
for his son on the cross, in fact, turned out to be perfect timing for all of us. So we read in Galatians in a beautiful passage, when the fullness of time had come. God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem us. Our time schemes mean nothing. God's means everything. The light of the world snuffed out on Good Friday, burst open the door to the tomb on Easter morning. There he shone in glory for all the world to see. So in the end, friends, it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter whether you're late, whether you're on time. What matters is this. God has come to you in the mercy of Christ, in his time, and in the fullness of time. Amen.